Hello and welcome to Belgium Business. I'm Kate Markland and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Marilyn Laurie and I've been very excited to talk to Marilyn. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I've also been equally excited to meet and talk to you today as well. So Marilyn, first of all, you have got life figured out because you get to have winters in the sunshine in Arizona and summers when it's probably way too hot in Phoenix back up in Canada. Is that right? Something along those lines? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Pick and choose the snow and the sun as suits you. Yes. Yeah, the rain in Vancouver can get to a person after a while. So it's nice to be able to have an escape to the sunshine. (laughs) Wonderful. So Marilyn, your um, background is as a social worker, but you're working now as a systemic team coach within healthcare. Can you just explain to the listeners what on earth that might mean? Sure. Um, Systemic team coaching is really looking at how groups, teams of people work and interoperate and interrelate with each other and within the sort of smaller and larger systems they work within. So looking at the interoperability of, of, I have specialized in healthcare for a number of years. So look at looking at the interoperability among their community, among their patient groups and families, among the other healthcare providers that work within the community, and then the larger systems within uh, both a, a, a national and international level, what's happening in healthcare that we can all learn and share. And so you have a lot of interest in um, Indigenous cultures, both in Canada and in Arizona, and are quite keen that we don't impose a solution on them but rather really understand what has perhaps been lost as healthcare has become a very corporatized industry. Yes, absolutely. Healthcare um, in Canada, we have a, a global system in Canada that although had its heyday, it's, it's, it's uh, struggling, I think, to meet the needs of people. And Indigenous people have historically had very, very poor access to healthcare and poor quality. So uh, right now is a is an excellent time for Indigenous people to uh, embrace restorative methods of uh, their stewarding their own healthcare, of uh, working with governments to support those efforts. And Indigenous people's culture, as I have understood it, uh, is very, very aligned with the systemic theory and success, systemic practice. Um, you know, the one world health idea of people working with animals and nature in a global uh, collaborative way is really at the foundation of Indigenous culture. So it has interested me for a long time. I've worked within several Indigenous cultures and learned a great deal from working within those environments. And what have been the key messages that you've both learned and wish that a wider audience could hear and understand and benefit from? That there's a far more holistic way of looking at how we care for people. Um, That, you know, there's people have the right and the ability to steward their own health care. We tend to get siloed and caught up in thinking that someone else knows how to treat us or 
fix us or diagnose us better than we do. And although all of those those uh, services are valued, there oftentimes doesn't leave much room for cultural, um, integrated ways of being and doing how we look after ourselves. So that for me has stood out as an important element that I think a lot of our healthcare systems are missing. Meaning that you sort of get on, well, this is what I'm understanding, certainly what we can see in in the UK is that, and I think the Canadian healthcare system is actually quite similar to the UK's healthcare system, in that you sort of get on this carousel and you are just a unit on the conveyor belt now with very little control over how your process scans, prodded and poked and just told a conclusion at the end of the process and lose all voice. And if you think, hang on a minute, no, I want to try something else, you're either, well, you either don't feel safe to say that or have to stand your ground to say it or fear being mocked for saying it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true, very true in Canada. Our systems vary like yours. And, you know, we treat people as a commodity because our healthcare systems are monetized. We work on volume billing basis. So, you know, turning people out like a commodity has become the way we care for people. And anything that interrupts that model of volume billing is not welcomed. <laughs> mm -hmm. But can it also be worse than that? I mean, your background is a social worker. So for example, if a mother were to express a different wish from what the conveyor belt wishes for their child, can they face problems and then suddenly find themselves being directed to a social services perhaps and actually their request was perfectly reasonable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that happens to people is in owning our own way of being and doing has been lost to conformity. Yes. And the conformity of governments having to deal with num huge numbers of people. You know, even even when it comes down to the administration of services and, you know, your your UK based King's Fund, as I think probably one of the best in the world at doing research on patient journey mapping. And they look at, you know, they, they did they've done several studies, obviously, but the one that really interested me was about how people in administration of healthcare have up to 75 percent of the influence on how a patient feels about the treatment they receive. And it's because if you see an admitting clerk and it's a horrible experience and then your discharge clerk is also horrible, people are treat then you assume that the treatment that you received in the middle is bad as well. And so a lot of people are not understanding that the way we administer our health care is as important as the care. You know, it's mm -hmm. it, it, everybody's bedside manner needs a bit of a checkup, I think. <laughs> so I'm, and I often use the example of, look, people can't read the certificates on your wall. They don't know what they mean. You know what they mean to you, but most people don't know what they mean, but they certainly know whether your skirting boards are clean or not. They can measure that. And what you're describing is extend that to the whole of the, uh, the whole experience so that people are treated as a, as a human. We bring back humanity. It's a, absolutely bringing back humanity. And this is where, you know, we put people at the front line who are generally paid the lowest in the healthcare 
hierarchy and expect them to be our frontline soldiers without support, without proper remuneration, without training, um, you know, and that that just reverberates across the whole and entire healthcare system where, you know, people, the, the dots are not being connected. People are being left stranded. They don't know where their referral to a specialist or diagnostics is. They don't get any sort of continuum of care. And so it leaves people absolutely feeling like they're disposable. Hmm. And then if you go against the grain of this sort of machine of conformity this conveyor belt of conformity that is inhumanely administered what are the consequences you risk facing by doing that well you know what you face is a is a system that doesn't care much for you because you know you're trouble mm. and uh you know we don't leave much room for being different in our culture, in our Western culture, often we're celebrated for being the same, being easy to control and easy to, to treat. And don't raise your voice. Don't ask for what you shouldn't. Um, don't think in a different way. Uh, you know, I've worked across the spectrum in healthcare and primary care and allied care and naturopathic medicine and private medicine. Um, and I think that, you know, people have a very a singular view of that primary care western medicine is going to serve fix it all and yet you know in coming down to arizona i see really integrated environments where patient culture and beliefs are embraced mayo does that cancer centers of america do that we understand that treating the whole person is how people get well not just a part of the body. I mean, for a long time, when I was a social worker, you know, you we dealt with the head and the doctor dealt with the body. And so, you know, there was no integration of mind-body health whatsoever. Um, and that tells you how old I am. But, but the reality is, is that, you know, we're understanding that mind-body whole person health is a real thing and is a really important thing. And yet we don't practice it. Mm. And it's interesting. You're making me want to just share a little, a uh, little story, Marilyn. So, um, as and regular listeners, if will know, I dislocated my shoulder a while ago, and um, with much reluctance, I went to the shoulder clinic afterwards. It was, it was I think, it was on the third occurrence of it happening. I went to the shoulder clinic afterwards. And it was after, you know, the periods of us locked down and not being able, I mean, basically not being able to swim. So yeah, the third shoulder dislocation, the registrar, the surgical registrar I saw was adamant that I had to have it operated on. I was adamant I did not need surgery because I know for the last 12 months, I've not even been in a swimming pool. So at least, yes, it's stupid it's happened three times, but at least give me a year or so of getting this stronger by um, well, other things I could do. But, you know, the physio in me just knows, well, I've not done my work since the second one. So if I've not done my work, yes, it's stupid, it's happened third time, but I've not done my work, so time I did my work. And I really had to hold that position. I really had to hold that position of no. And I saw a copy of the letter that was written to my GP, and it was so condescending. It was so condescending. And it's quite interesting because it really made me think, if I hadn't 
got my belief in terms of what I could do to strengthen my shoulder and also my belief of knowing that over the last 12 months I had not done my work. It was, it, the letter would have read really inhumanely as it was. I just thought, you know, what a, whatever, bleep. <laughs> I'll get on with my, my thing. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> so, but that's just a cultural difference between a physiotherapist and a surgeon. Never mind the cultural difference in how our whole upbringing, what our deeper beliefs might be. Um, so the, 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 it's, the differences in our views can be, um, what we'll really need to take into account from what I experienced and not just based on whether, you know, you're, I don't know, indigenous to this county, this state, whatever or not, this country, or whether you're a Muslim, a Hindu, a Sikh, a Christian, or whatever, there. What are your the, the the individual's beliefs, and making space for those? But there seems so little of it. It's so there's so little of that, and so you know, in the in the Western culture, you, you know, I I loved your story, by the way, of the difference between what a surgeon and a physiotherapist might might think and in the UK physiotherapists are part of the hospital team they're they are just are now in Canada but mm -hmm. um <clears throat> i believe your physios even have prescriptive rights and that's not yeah. how we practice in Canada but you know the the division between allied musculoskeletal mental health all of those things from primary care is very very distinct and one doesn't necessarily believe in the other, mm. you know? And so if mm. you have a different way of wanting to deal with your health issue, you know, you're right. There's, there's a, a large chance that you're going to be disenfranchised in some way for mm. that. And, uh, you know, and then you add racism to that. Mm. And now you can imagine you feel hopeless. So, you know, empowerment of all patients is, I believe, the way through to the next level or whatever change we need to see in our healthcare industry. And also helping people take the responsibility of their healthcare back. For a long time, we've been dependent on someone else to tell us what to do, um, not owning our healthcare journey. And so that's a big challenge too. You know, I think that a lot of that has changed with the internet with, you know, people going into their doctor now and said, I saw in Dr. Oz or whatever, and people are diagnosing themselves on the, from what they read on the internet. Um, but it has empowered people in a certain way to start looking for alternatives to how they look after themselves. Mm, yeah, so there are good points of this in that perhaps the pendulum is switching and certainly over perhaps the last few years, people recognise, hang on a minute, I'm overweight, I'm diabetic, I've got heart disease, it's about time I looked at what I'm eating, it's about time I looked at my stress levels, whether I'm exercising. And so questions have come forwards in terms of helping the individual recognize that they have a role to play in their health. Um, 
But what about the the risks of if we don't if we don't um, embrace this listening and engaging really every individual? Will we just find that people don't come to seek advice for health? They go and you know go and see their the wise old lady that lives in their village or. Well, you know, without a doubt, there is that going on. There's a, a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of people seeking naturopathic medicine as opposed to to allopathic care. Uh, I worked in, in the naturopathic industry for a few years and who I thought went to see a naturopathic doctor because I had not at that time um, was sort of like a young crowd who wanted to stay hip with hormone replacement and that kind of thing. And it was absolutely not. It was, it was baby boomers who were looking to stay active, agile, healthy, uh, just engaged into their senior years. And they weren't finding the answers in allopathic healthcare. And they got tired of going in to see a doctor and what I get is a prescription. The baby boom generation had, has more disposable income than a lot of other generations. And so they were using their power to make a choice about where mm. they went and their, their disposable money to make a choice about where they went for healthcare and looking at alternative ways of looking after their health. And I see that when I'm here in Arizona in an even bigger way, there's chiropractors everywhere in Arizona. Um, it, chiropractic medicine is very big here, not so much in Canada, although it's growing. And so people don't necessarily go to their doctor to get a prescription for pain medicine. They see a chiropractor. They see, they look at physiotherapy. And I think that we're slowly engaging in that. But when you look at communities, you know, remote communities, um, you know, and again, a lot of indigenous people live in really, really remote areas where there's food scarcity. They don't have access to good, wholesome food. It doesn't get trucked in. And so, you know, when you're looking at diabetes management and diet and things like that, there's so much missing from, from how they are able to look after their own health. And the same with allied health services. And so, you know, with certainly those communities are, are looking at how they can embrace their elders who have the wisdom to understand diet from their natural environment and how to do that. And yet our payment model is so professionalized that we don't recognize those kinds of uh, treatments on our pay for model. Yes. So the whole industry has become this machine very much controlled by the pharmaceutical industry and reimbursements through the insurance industry and obviously in bed with one another. And we have this label of alternative medicine, which in many ways is largely, I mean, I always struggle with that phrase alternative medicine. I'm not sure what else to call it. Natural medicine, one, one world medicine you use. Some of it's just common sense. But yeah. we've lost sight of it. We've got so stuck in this pharmaceutical, medical, allopathic model that we've forgotten that, hang on a minute, what if I just ate well? Yes, exactly. You know, depending on what happened 
what what you know we've lost that connection to our history mm-hmm. when we're building our future you know and and the food you know the food modification industry is so huge that you know people now are afraid to eat a potato or tomato how's it been modified and we're deeming food good and bad and whatever and you know if all of the packaged foods are what are driving addictions to sugar and all kinds of other things and so you know it doesn't seem to matter which way we turn it's really up to the individual to do their homework and seek out how to again create their own stewardship of their well-being because you're describing it again we've even lost sight of what eating well is so i guess most of us know that a mars bar a day for example would not be a good thing but we've still lost sight of what does eating well mean and there's so much information out there we don't know what to trust what not to trust what to believe what not to believe and our parents were subject to all of this food industry information too so well that's it you know in the 50s it started it's really started to make life easier for women in the kitchen and then for women to work and families eat at mcdonald's on the way home from school before they go to hockey or whatever else so i think you know there's a lot to there's a lot at play here for all of us. And we've lost that one world part of it. We've lost that we're connected to one another, to the animals. You know, I mean, there's a big philosophy that if we looked after ourselves better, we'd be looking after our planet better. So it really is interconnected. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you described that because I often think that too, Marilyn, that we've just lost sight that we're living entities as well. It's like, we're machines we've forgotten that just like you look at the flowers the plants the nature in your garden the animals well we're a living entity as well i think that's just completely forgotten it's like we're some sort of robotic mechanical entity where bits of us can be replaced or like a lego man pull off the different bits and click on a new one that's absolutely it kate and you know systemic team coaching um and i studied with peter hawkins who's in the uk uh you know, the systemic team coaching is about reconnecting, leaving some space to actually feel, see, think things, especially in healthcare. We're going at such an incredibly rapid, demanded volume rate that everybody in healthcare has become robotic. I mean, I'm not trying to, to in any way, shape, or form, uh, put down people who work in healthcare. It's me too. And we're constantly meeting demands that are probably not acceptable. You know, we're dealing with volume in this model that doesn't allow any of us the time to think, feel, reconnect with ourselves, let alone with a patient. And that's where we've really got to stop and allow ourselves the space to get whole again yeah allow some breath in between because what you're describing is the whole system is sick and everybody within it the practitioner the patient everybody within the the system is sick and everybody that enters into the system whatever perspective they enter the system in gets sick if they don't put up some boundaries and some yeah i mean doctors are burning out everywhere because of the pressure put on them 
And, uh, you know, if we, if we took a more holistic view of how we care for people and included all of the treatments available, including helping people get whole. I mean, if our model was based on wellness instead of sickness, maybe we could turn it around. Hmm. I think it's Japan that has a healthcare model that their insurance model charges people less money based on their diet, their exercise, their those you know how well they're looking after themselves. Their premiums go down. Yeah, so some actuary's gone and done the risk assessment, and if your risks are low, then you're you've, you've mitigated the risk for them. Right. Gosh, so. Marilyn, we have a lot of work to do. Hey. Well, <laughs> I think we do, Kate. I think that's you know the good news and the bad news. I mean, when we're at an awakening. When we look at all of the things that are the power dynamics that are going on in the world with wars and things like that, it's pretty undeniable that we've got to start doing something different. Yeah, it does. Well, it's certainly how it feels to me at the moment that there's a energetic battle that's going on. And basically, there isn't a choice. Humanity has to win. Absolutely. That's mm. it. I think, Kate, you said it. <laughs> right. So your work with the Indigenous cultures is in part extracting the knowledge that has been lost in terms of what can you use again the phrase, where does the phrase One World Health come from? I don't, I'm not familiar with that phrase, Marilyn. Where does that phrase come from? Um, it's it's a new emerging, emerging philosophy. Um, I'll send you the l links on some of it, but a number of um, emerging studies and structures are um, looking at, and this is across the globe, looking at how we interconnect and interrelate to create a better system for wellness. Um, that, you know, animals count, the how we, uh, animal husbandry, how we treat our animals has an effect on the kind of diseases that are spread. How we treat our planet is you know, affects the kind of quality of life and air we have and water and how we interconnect with all of those as humans to make sure that we're looking after each part of life. Mm. So what are the takeaways you would like the listener to really hear from you and start to think about how they can embed in their relationships with their team with themselves and with their clients i think that really take the time you know take the time to create some space for your team to connect the biggest part challenge i see in healthcare is that we're also busy doing 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 like you say like robots like like we're also busy just doing what we're supposed to and our systems don't allow us to take time. And yet we know that the teams, the work groups that connect well together, that know each other better, that have the time to get to know each other better and connect on a deep level are the ones that are far more resilient to challenge. We don't really take that time um, as teams in healthcare. We just go in and do what we need to do and get the heck out. So I think that it's time we challenge that 
that our governments and our our legislative bodies need to understand that they're burning us out at far too rapid a rate, that our patients aren't getting the care that they need, and for teams to really take some time to get to know one another and know what makes each other tick and how they can enhance what people bring to the table to to create a team that's a whole. There's there's a lot of um like there's a lot of attraction to to group think in healthcare where everybody um where every they want everybody to think exactly the same that they do. But if we keep it's almost like the the what is the theory of insanity, keep doing what you've always done and expecting a different outcome. If we don't really take a stop and take a look at what we're doing and how we're doing it and connecting with people and looking at how we build a team that's a whole that has is representative of everyone, culturally, philosophically, uh, intellectually, emotionally, we're really at the risk of not having a very strong uh, team and therefore, we're going to put our resilience at continued risk. Mm. So as a practice owner, it's also really important that you're creating time, not just for your patients and for yourself, but you're creating time for your team to come together. Because actually by doing that, you're mitigating risks within your business. And that little bit of time can set you apart between all your competitors as your team are more um, connected to each other. Absolutely. It's, you know, Mayo's done a, a great job and the many other hospitals too of modeling the management with a triad, uh, more democratic triad system. And I think that, you know, the the more we build democracy and everybody's uh, energies and everybody's gifts come to the table to create a whole versus autocracy will be will be a lot better. It takes work. It's going to take a lot of work. That's the challenge. Mm, and a lot of willingness for those that hold the power to release some power. Yes, absolutely. And I'm presuming this is where you like to work, particularly with smaller or startups, uh, new teams, because you can form, shape it earlier and get the, get, get the foundations in place quicker. Is that, is that correct? Is it easier to do that than down the line, turn the thing around? You know, it's it depends on each individual group. And I don't do so much of the forming as I provide the space and some of the tools for the groups to form themselves. I don't necessarily instruct them on what to build, just how to build. Mm. And so, you know, it's it's sometimes easier in the beginning. But to be really honest, when you get a group of people together, there are going to be challenges that, that come up all the way along the road. And it's staying true to that checking in and how we agreed to be together and not letting that go sit on a shelf somewhere like a policy and procedures manual that keeps that thing alive. So it's really up to the group then to carry on in the spirit that they were intended in the beginning. And that's also where we get lost as we go along and meet the demands of day-to-day -day volume in a healthcare. So to be really honest, I, I work with both. I work with teams, larger teams that are, that are oftentimes in real crisis. Um, and also with smaller teams that are starting up who really want to try to structure themselves in a way that's more holistic.
And my final question for you, Marilyn, is teams that are remote working, so perhaps they do domiciliary services, are they able to create this connection with each other in the same way that people might be able to if they're in the in a place? You know, so if, if everybody's in one hospital or one clinic, they see each other on a daily or alternate daily, weekly basis. But perhaps if you've got a team that are doing domiciliary that are all remote working, there are different considerations that need to be put in place to create an interconnectedness in a culture. But is, is it still possible? Yeah, that's such an interesting question, Kate. I've been doing most of my work remote now ever since pandemic, but I don't think that there's really, you know, and I love Zoom, mm -hmm. but I don't really think that there's any replacement for real human connection and touch. Mm -hmm. Seeing the other person at some point and being, being able to give each other a hug is really powerful. And mm -hmm. so... You know, for teams that have to work remote, uh, I understand that. There's a lot of us doing that. But building in some kind of opportunity to get your team together, uh, if it's once a year or whatever that is, to have people really connect, that's when you start seeing people understand that who that person is and having each other's back. Many years ago, I took my teams I had some private schools and I took them every summer we went on a different retreat and one summer we went whitewater rafting and it was probably the best thing I could have ever done in my entire life was watching teams of people in rafts losing somebody over the edge and bringing them back into the raft and the adrenaline and the camaraderie and wow you saved my life and wow how important that was that everybody felt after that those real life experiences touching one another, I don't think can be replicated by remote work. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and your expertise and sharing your knowledge, Marilyn. Marilyn, if people would like to hear more from you, where can they do that? Um, they can go to my website. It's www.bizshrink.ca, B-I-Z-S-H-R-I-N-K.ca. Um, Yes, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested. Thank you very much for your time, Marilyn. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. It's been a pleasure.